Hello, I'm Pete Raby, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. Today, I am joined by Robert Pascoe, CEO and co-founder of Plend, the UK's first B Corp consumer lender on a mission to make credit history, history. Rob, first of all, I absolutely love the, uh, the business ethos there, and I certainly love that visionary line to go with it as well. In today's sessions episode, we'll be uncovering the methodologies and strategies behind Plend's success and the biggest learns along the way. Thank you for joining us today, Rob. To kick things off, give us a bit of a summary of, of your strategic journey so far. Yeah, thanks, Pete. And also great to, great to be here on the podcast. Absolutely thrilled. Yeah, so Plend, uh, we're a consumer lender, only been around for just over three years now. So very early in our journey. So strategy for us has been very much a survival of getting us to where we are today, getting uh, a product out, getting customers, getting early traction, and then going on to raise uh, institutional financing in order to expand and, and really start to reach out to wider parts of the, the country. So it's a little bit more narrow in context. And definitely the way I approach strategy has changed already quite substantially. But there's that maturity or that maturing of, of, of how we process and go through uh, and execute on strategy, which has been quite interesting for me. And I was saying to you before, I'm also open to learning a lot more about this because, you know, it's my first business I've ever founded. I'm still relatively quite young. The team is relatively quite young. So we're moving away from sort of responding and fighting fires to to setting longer term goals. And that's been a real, uh, real wake up in many ways, but also some fantastic lessons. As a person that was sat in that position not that many years ago, Rob, I've got to admit, I think even the word strategy wouldn't have been uttered from our mouths <laughs> for quite a bit of time, to be honest. It's a case of, right. How are we going to generate revenue? What do we want to become here? And then should we get mm-hmm. on with it? Now, was that a similar journey for you? Or were you guys a little bit better at stepping back and going, right, what are the core strategies that are going to get us at least off the ground? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say say better. It's definitely been uh, some hard lessons and, and, and sort of strategy being a necessity in terms of ensuring that the right resources and team and financing or whatever it might be are all aligned perfectly or near perfectly so you can execute a plan, which could also not work out and then you've got to reset and have have contingency but yeah for us there's there's probably two parts to it one is that yes like any other business we have to go out and prove what we're doing we have to get a paying customer we have to essentially make sure the model actually works and the assumptions that there's a problem out there that we're trying to solve that kind of product market fit aspect that 100 percent is a big part of the journey to date and it has been uh, i'd like to say proved out now we're sort of on to the next stage but the second part for us in finance is we're operating in a very restrictive environment. So it's heavily, heavily regulated. There's a lot more protection being placed on consumers and how you treat consumers. And so you can't just go and lend someone some money tomorrow. You have to actually go through quite a, a stringent process and almost think, we, you know, we want to be a startup and be nimble and, and break things and move quickly. But you've got to start thinking more like a bank early on in your journey in our industry. So that was also a big experience for us. And that's probably what's driven also another segment of strategy or how we approach decision-making, longer-term decision-making, which you know I wouldn't say was particularly fun. Definitely early on in the journey, really rallied against the amount of restrictions and policies and procedures that you have to follow through on when you run a, a financial institution. But it's put us in a really robust place. And actually, that pain has meant that we're far more mature going into this next phase of, of, of growth. That's it. So you, you've done a couple of rounds of funding now, and the last one clearly a, a really successful round as well. How has your strategic process changed now compared to where you were going the first round of funding, that seed funding? Or, you know, it'd be interesting to know how that's developed during that time. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question because, yeah, the, the first round of funding we secured, which was in 2021, we had 
early support from Nationwide Building Society and a couple of impact-focused VCs that got us off the ground. That was very much like get regulation, go out there and prove it, make sure there's like actually paying customers and then understand the market that you're going to go and serve. So this round just recently was far more around the kind of the larger longer-term growth and, and reaching profitability in our, in our journey. So it's a far, far different mindset uh, now going into this this next stage of, of the business. I would say there's a lot more formalized approach now to strategy. One of my lessons was early on is that it's no longer like two founders in our bedrooms, basically trying to get a paying customer or trying to get something over the line. We now have different functions in the business. Some of them are heavily, heavily regulated. Some of them are not, but they all need to interact. You need to make sure that the right processes, the team, the operations, the financing, whatever it might be, are all lined up. And as you want to grow and hit growth targets, you've got to make sure you've got the right capacity in each of these functions to hit those growth targets. So for us, we're lending money. You need to make sure you've got other money or financing behind you so you can lend it onto your consumers. That's a big part of it. You also got to make sure you've got the customer support, the team that can handle those, that growth in numbers, that growth in customer demand. And then you're going through a period of uncertainty in the current economy and a lot more pressure. Cost of living crisis is very much apparent and putting a lot of people under a lot of pressure financially. So you've got to make sure you've got systems in place to be able to deal with that. And the, I suppose the, the demand that customers have to kind of either refactor their existing arrangements or change how they, they pay their existing arrangements, there's a lot more pressure on, on that side of the business as well. So if you're going to scale this to a, to a bank lender or something of that scale, you've got to make sure all these fundamental parts are done properly and there's time in which you're putting in those plans. So yeah, if I was going to put it into some granularity, what I would say is moved away from kind of the fighting fires and responding to product issues and, 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 and little bugs and things like that more now to every time we sit down, we do essentially a health check on the business. So health check on how customers are going, how customer demand is looking, how the commercial side, how the pricing is looking, how much financing we have available to actually lend and grow this quarter. And then putting that together with all the different capacities that we need to have lined up to go. At that point, we can then start actually determining a core objective for that quarter or for, for that year. And then fundamentally putting in some OKRs or some actual, you know, key results that we need to deliver on in order to hit that that wider objective. Yeah, I was going to ask you in relation to timescales, actually. Have the timescales on your strategic planning started to get longer than next quarter, next six months, next year away? How 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 has how has that changed? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, I'll I'll be completely transparent as well. Like it was a pretty tough year last year. Like it's fantastic to raise the money we did and to now start executing on that that financing but uh i mean there were points where we were pretty pretty cash strapped and like all well i think every startup goes through that same journey but your your time scales are a lot tighter and essentially you're responding to those problems you're making sure you can keep the lights on essentially uh, and you're making some drastic decisions in order to ensure those lights are still on so that was definitely a big experience for us and it, it didn't allow us to make those kind of longer term plans moving into this period now yeah i mean 100 like we've, we've got to be the horizons have definitely come further out we're still sort of doing more kind of granular quarterly objectives and then we do sort of monthly check-ins with different functions of the business but um i wouldn't say i've got that that time horizon piece right yet this is all that test and go it's only been maybe two quarters since we we raised that round so there's not much to really go on in terms of success but I think the the foundation has definitely changed and that's been really, really positive. So just how the kind of senior team thinks now and how they approach certain tasks and how they check in with certain parts of the business, looping everyone in and keeping the comms up. I think that's definitely been a big change. The, the, moving from the firefighting, all hands on deck at all times to more of a now a streamlined approach to core functions of the business that someone owns and takes responsibility for. And it's no longer about 
oh, it's my job and, and no one else is doing that. It's we are all connected and it all has uh, knock on effects. So that that so far that shift has been really positive for us, and and hopefully we can build on that. And how's the involvement of that strategic planning team gone? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So we were very lucky early on. So look, complete honesty around this again, uh, me and my co-founder, you know, very young, very driven, but we're not, we're first-time founders. We've never run a, a regulated lending business. We've never gone and lent anyone money, actually, maybe maybe to friends and family, but nothing the scale. So we were lucky early on to be backed by some amazing companies, but also advisors. And they've been part of the journey almost from day one, or at least for the last two years. One in particular is Luke Lang. He's one of the co-founders of Crowdcube. So he'd gone through and executed a, a regulated fintech at, at, a, at a large scale, at least from a brand perspective, at a, at a very, very significant scale in the UK, and was fundamental to sort of building out that early part of the structure. He's a big champion of, of OKRs, and has sort of built in that kind of decision-making process, and at least that kind of setting objectives and keeping to them early on in our journey, which was fantastic. And then more recently, we've had some fantastic founders from other lending businesses or other fintechs who've been part of the process. And actually, some of them are very, very involved now. So we've got co-founders from, from Monzo and Starling who have been fundamental to the next or this kind of stage of growth. One was the CFO, one was the chief risk officer. So they've been in core functions that are important to lending. And then also one of the co-founders of Oodle Car Finance. So one of the biggest car lenders in the UK, scaled a team from four to 700 in four years. So he knows how to basically get a, an operations function, a lending operations function to, to scale and has been part of our executive committee since the funding round. So we have different structures and how we report, but essentially this our exco or executive committee structure is six to seven people who all have an equal voice from the table. Even though I'm the CEO and I'm responsible for executing on the, on the ground, actually there's quite a metocracy at that level of, of strategy making. So, I mean, I think so far so good. I'll be honest, like all these things, uh, first time round. So I don't know if it's the right structure or the right approach, but there's definitely been a change in mindset. It sounds like you've got some brilliant uh, external voices at the table and it sounds like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you've got people of that ilk and that backing that are part of your team, hopefully I'd imagine it's a pretty uh, pretty adrenaline-fueled, exciting time where you've got that many people. Now, one of the things that did cross my mind when you were running through kind of that list of people, are there ever any strategic clashes in relation to how, you know, <laughs> uh, in relation to direction? And obviously I'm not asking you to disclose the uh, ins and outs of uh, relevant arguments, but how do you get people that have all been very successful in their own right and ultimately, there's going to be differences in opinion. How, how's that experience been so far? Yeah, though that is uh, you're nail on the head there. Like, definitely, that's a, an interesting part of it. I think you always need robust discussion. They have done the kind of scale and the sort of team piece, which we haven't done. Me and my co-founder, so that is really really helpful for us in terms of you know hiring and, and building out core functions. But when you think about the core day to day, the bread and butter of our business, that's very much an internal function, which we've sort of got right in my, in my opinion. We've sort of spent the most amount of time and effort building out that and, and basically optimizing it, build the team around it. We build the functions, the operations around it, the financing around it. All of that is sort of ancillary or secondary to the, to the proof point of the, the IP. Absolutely. It's always interesting. And again, having been in business with two brothers before, and we haven't had the investment up to this point. We've kind of mm-hmm. done what we've done organically. And therefore, we've almost always gone to a little bit of a, bit of a golden rule between the three of us early doors as well. If two of the three feel really passionately about that's the right direction, then that's what we do. 
just going back to the strategic decision-making process, there's lots of big, successful voices in the room. Is it ever a position, Rob, where you've got to go, okay, I've listened to all the arguments, I kind of think we want to do this, or is it as a collective, you, you have to get to a consensus by the end of the session or in a week later? Is that process evolved in relation to how you actually end up deciding what you're going to do? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. So wh- while there is that, that free and frank discussion and that kind of advice, and, and, and I do take a lot of the advice on board, and especially on team, that's been vital. But in terms of like, yeah, making those core decisions, it still comes down to, to, to myself and, and partly my co-founder, who's the, in charge of the technology. You know, that's the fundamental part of the business, the IP of the business. So that hasn't really changed. And to be honest, that the guys who are on, you know, the advisors have come in with the big experiences. They're not there to, to, to run the company or to, to push us out of the side. They are actually quite reasonable. Maybe we haven't got to a, an impasse yet. Perhaps that's, maybe that's the answer. But they are, you know, they're to support. And, you know, they want the best of the business, obviously, but at the same time, they're not going to basically railroad their decisions over our, ourselves. And it's not like we're sort of a voting deadlock and there's a process. Every single decision made has been unanimously backed. Fingers crossed that stays the same. Because <laughs> that in itself is, um, is one of the things that people that are going through this journey will wonder, well, we haven't really got many non-execs so far, or like we're looking at one or two. Some non-execs I do know are slightly more forceful than others in yep. relation to saying, no, sorry, I categorically disagree. This isn't what we should do. It sounds like you've got the balance of, uh, as they say with people that get in, investors and uh, in, investment in, you can absolutely get loads and loads of great investment, but they might be the completely wrong partner for you because they want things to be run in a certain way. And what it sounds like you guys have done so far, and uh, hats off to that, because when we wander down that journey, I'm going to be reaching out to people like you to say, how do we afford the <laughs> wrong people? Um, is, is that whole thing about going, they're the support to the business, but ultimately it's got to be us that are still there making the decisions. Yeah. Uh, was that something conscious when you were going through that investment process? You were like, we've got a vision of where we want to get to, or were you at the stage of going, we want people to help us evolve what that vision could look like? There are sort of two kind of voices that we kind of get on our from our investor network. So. We've got a group who are essentially, yeah, you guys are running risk better. You're, you're commercially going to outperform. This is fantastic. I work in the industry. I work in credit or I work in risk or I work in something connected and I understand it and I love it. I'm going to give you funding to go out and, and, and do that. Then you've got a group who back us who, who actually backed us early on and actually been fantastic. These are the likes of Nationwide Building Society, Fair by Design, and there's a number of charities such as Big Society Capital. Their focus has been more about okay, what are you actually going to do for these customers? You know, yes, you're going to try to do a better product, but are you actually solving this problem for the right people? Are you actually doing something that's impact-led? And actually that voice has been quite fundamental to us because we're, it's very easy in our industry to get into the kind of commercial mindset and keep going down the kind of, let's just price slightly better than the competition and we'll, it'll just be slightly better and then, you know, we can grow a bit faster and that's it. For us, actually, we do want to fundamentally write credit differently. We do want to basically take away the old adages of what underwriters have done, where essentially there's a lot of assumptions made on where you live and, and basically other aspects which are not relatable to who you are and the income you earn and how you spend your money. Things that we said are fundamentally wrong with running risk or running credit in this country. So making that shift away has been difficult. And there's definitely been those two voices on our cap table where I've got to somehow draw a middle point where I can sort of keep them both happy. But I do want to lean more towards changing things and being a bit more um, social purpose driven. And that's where the B Corp side came from. And there's also some other stuff we've done recently. We actually put a cap on our product. So we don't charge anything more than a certain APR. That's in our articles of association. It take a shareholder resolution to get those out. Nice, nice. Pretty, yeah. 
pretty hard to to remove. So I, I really want to put our money where our mouth is in terms of impact. And that has been a lot harder, I think, than I actually expected. And it's been harder too from a team perspective. So when you go out and launch a fintech, you're hiring people from an industry which is very much the same as it's always been. Um, it's very much like insurance. So you've got under, traditional underwriters, traditional views around insurance and writing risk and where you live and how that determines what you're worth. And breaking that has actually been quite hard because you can even hire junior people who are quite young and still are in that mindset, institutionalized mindset that you've got to try to break. And so we've made some like really, really big decisions around how we write risk and how we run the risk team of, of Plend, um, which have been fundamental. I wouldn't say that was pushed by certain investors. That was definitely a push we have made. But it's been solidified by the support from those investors, especially the impact-led ones. Uh, and that's been fundamental. So I call that kind of the good money. It's like a values-aligned money. And I really want to make sure we keep that values-aligned money first and foremost on our cap table, which is hard, but that's my... Now, it's a, it, it's a fascinating topic you mentioned there, Rob, because ultimately that also comes from key hires, right? Um, Absolutely, yeah. The, the, the blend of wanting innovative, entrepreneurial-minded can-doers that are happy to... As you'll know, like <laughs> there's a lot of jobs that you do as a founder, as a startup that you're like, wow, never thought I'd be doing this or whatever it may be. Um, and I look back at some of my attempted self-designed logos at the beginning and really think that my <laughs> four-year-old would have done an enormous job, yeah. uh, a job better. <laughs> How do you make sure that the balance between, yeah, not, not just the investor piece, but have you made any kind of key hires from industry so far when it comes to like getting experience of the sector in? And, and if so, how do you ensure that they aren't too? And I think you know what I mean by corporate-minded, where, well, this is the way you, you know, th- th- there's got to be that flexibility with a startup, right? But clearly not in some areas. How's that gone? Yeah, if I think of the biggest challenges, that has probably been one of the biggest challenges. So once again, first-time founders, first time we've ever done this, first time we've ever hired people. So that's been a big challenge for us. There was definitely a couple of mindset shifts uh, internally. We had hired, made some bad hires, I'll be honest. We, we had to yeah. let some people go. Unfortunately, they were very experienced. They wrote some good business. They were good at risk, but they were from a very much an institutionalized background, didn't align with the values of the business and didn't want to do much more than their day-to-day job. And so that's been a big lesson for us. We've hired some really, really core, cool, actually I hired a key hire recently, but have actually changed that mindset further. So we've got a fantastic head of operations who now runs the kind of day-to-day of the business she scaled fintechs or tech companies before. Um, so you're paying a premium for, for someone like that. But actually, the, the value add and the cost savings across the business have been fantastic. And she knows how to hire people. She knows how to scale that function. She knows the right people to get. We've seen that. She's already made free hires already. We, we've seen like that impact like straight away. And that's been oh such a weight off my shoulder because actually hiring good managers who then go on and hire those teams and those functions and scaling those teams... That's the trick. And we've finally done it with this one. And I hope to do more more like that and looking out for that sort of, what do you call it, gold dust or whatever the, the metaphor is for that particular type of person. Yeah. Um, but it has been hard. It definitely has been hard. And the talent market was really, really tight as well about a year or two years ago, or it has been for a while. That is beginning to loosen a bit. So we are actually seeing a, a higher caliber of, of, uh, of candidates coming through the door. Uh, and a number of our competitors are actually... Uh, well, not competitors, but larger lenders in the, in the space have actually been making redundancies. You've seen you know, large tech redundancies across the industry. And actually, we've been finding some high quality coming through that that door. So we're still hiring now. We're still growing, growing carefully and hiring the right roles. But actually, the quality of people we're hiring has been far, far better than it was a year and a year and a half ago. That's been a, a big, big, big lesson for us early on. You know, In the last couple of years, 
some of the great and very interesting stories, both sides at the Atlantic within the technology and fintech market. There have been some brilliant startups that have come and started doing some scaling in some fascinating areas that just wouldn't have existed not that long ago. Have there been one or two main companies or individuals that you've always followed, Rob, that you've gone, wow, I've loved what they've done and how they've done it and and, and has been a bit of inspiration to, to, to how you've gone about what you're doing? Yeah, ma- massively. I mean, there's so many different examples. I was going to say, actually, with those examples, there have been some also some controversial cases of, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure in, in, in tech and fintech in particular. It it's probably gets the most amount of interest from a VC perspective. And sometimes the the crossover effect of that can be some some bad actors can take it right to the end. And, you know, with Wirecard and a few other high profile examples, properly push it to a point where it's, um, well, it's, 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 it's blatant fraud. And, it's, you know, that's a big a big, a big risk in, I think, in our industry. But yeah, there's been some fantastic examples. Actually, not not as recent as you would think. So my favorite platform or lender called Upstart in the US. Yeah. So they actually launched after the last financial crisis. And essentially, they're three uh, ex-Google execs who basically, similar to my own thinking here, credit is not working. The FICO score system in the US doesn't work. The way that credit is assessed or risk is assessed is completely backward. And at a point with the credit crunch in the last financial crisis, no one was lending. None of the banks had liquidity to go out and keep lending. They were in defense mode. They were claiming on homes. And so Upstart, uh, for a period of at least the first three or four years after the financial crisis, was one of the biggest, if not the biggest lender in the US as a startup. They were lending more volume than Bank of America, which is madness. But that's a real, real example of actually the big incumbents can just stop and just be at a standstill. And they're big, like big tankers. They can't just go and turn around that quickly on a dime when the market shifts and you see um, an upward trajectory and in, in, in growth or in, in wage uh, wages or whatever it might be that means you can keep lending again or expand your lending so always look to them as kind of a, a bigger brother in the us that i've always wanted to kind of replicate here um there's also another lender here in the uk that i actually follow quite closely um which i you could say would be a competitor in the future but actually i think they're fantastic and they execute very very well and it's lendable you know, I would dream to get planned anywhere close to their their scale, but they are just yeah, fantastic, fantastic business. And also, I think the key thing they've been quiet too. Like they're not they're not always pushing for the limelight. Where I think a lot of these, especially these big controversial stories of fintech or tech, mm. have ended up kind of crashing and burning. They've almost been a bit too much in the in the limelight or in the, in the kind of the face of things, trying to drive interest for another round of funding to kind of keep the the game going for longer. Whereas players like Lendable have actually kept quiet and actually just been profitable executed well and got the fundamentals of the business right and just kept expanding and that's definitely what we want to replicate that mindset at at plend is uh far more attractive there we go and we we were talking quite at the beginning in relation to foundational strategies and like you know this core values but there's strategies that what kind of business do we want to be how do we want to put our offering to the market and in, in in areas such as hiring and out of all of the Many, many, many guests that I've had in the last couple of years that have been full of very exciting, expanding businesses. There's barely been a single one that hasn't said that attracting the right talent Mm. hasn't been one of their biggest challenges, right? And as you say, sometimes the more in the the public limelight you are, more people are going to want to work for you. The more that you get in, you know, inbound inbound approaches and bits and pieces. So as you say, every strategy that you have is two sides to every coin. So it's that balance of what do we want to be? What's the most important stuff to us? And what do we want to stay, stay true to? And sometimes as growth and investment happens, 
there can be stuff of, of ways of doing things that seem very appealing for the first few days or first few weeks. And then when you think about the downside, you think I'm very, very pleased that we kind of stepped back and didn't rush into that decision. That is one of the things I was looking forward to asking you as well, Rob. Uh, and again, I feel like we could uh, speak for quite a while, but as we try and do <laughs> these episodes, kind of keep them short and sweet on these strategic me- methods and methodologies. I found it really, really tough in the early years, especially when you've been with founders that you, you, you're mates with and you get on with as well as uh, you know founding a business together, is to do the stopping pausing and reflecting and going are we happy with our strategies on this are we happy with our strategies on this for growth or whatever it may be what's your methodology and how do you attempt to make sure that the perspective and the way that you're doing your business and the strategies you've got in place are the right ones yeah and i also agree pete as well with that and it's quite interesting here because you've obviously taken you know you're far ahead of us in terms of the journey and those kind of harsh lessons, or you, you, at least you've, you've paid the school fees in terms of those harsh lessons. <laughs> so yeah, there's a process we go through internally of basically, well, for us, we're a data company. So we need to know the data, we need to know exactly what's been happening, but also going through and making sure that each of our functions is sort of how they're performing, what's capacity like, how's it performing against plan. And if it's not, we need to take, take a step back and actually go and look and start again that process. But I will say the distractions are high. There are a lot of things that we could do. I get inbounds from different people all the time especially in green energy. We, we launched a green energy product uh, last year, which was very, very successful. What I mean by green energy is we, we finance the purchase of solar panels or heat pumps for your home. Big, big market at the moment, big backlog of uh, demand, partly driven by the supply issues in China where physically they can't get enough solar panels in the country. But uh, the financing of those big expensive items, very, very popular. I get inbounds all the time from platforms asking me to do a financing deal with them to help purchase them. We would love to be the owner or the, the, the key lender in that space. Physically, we are just, we've got to execute our core strategy. We've got to execute the product, our core product to make sure it's like getting to a point where we can automate more of it before we can start doing these really cool, exciting things down the line. So there's a lot. There's a lot we could be doing. We're a regulated lender. We technically we could issue credit cards. We could do a whole different raft of different products, but we need to focus on core for now. We need to make sure we get to a sustainable volume of, of customers and make sure our processes and products are performing the way they should be. But one thing is that focus, that real obsession on one or two core things that we need to do well. And then everything else is sort of ancillary to that at the moment. One of the things I've read so much about is the balance between strategy and execution always has to be right. You mentioned your monthly health check, but I definitely know, and it's something we're still working on. And thankfully, um, a new assistant, Helen, has been an absolute <laughs> godsend so far for making sure these things go in the diary and they're just not movable. That's when that that's happening. You and your co-founder, you know, you and any of your most prominent investors and exec board members, how do you make sure, not just from a monthly health check perspective, but how do you make sure that you sod off out of the office? How do you make sure that not just that, oh, yeah, the business that we're doing is running well, but hold up, are we asking ourselves the right questions from a, what do we want to create? What are the questions that we should be asking ourselves? Are you happy that that's part of the process yet? Or is that something that still you still think would be valuable to build in? We are still working that bit out. And I'm, cur- I'm also quite curious about your experience with that as well. But I'm... Um, what we've done to date more recently is me and my co-founder will basically take a day or two days off. Actually, I think we did a free day recently back in nice. November, every quarter. And what we did after the fundraising round is we set a an 18-month plan for a mixture of different things from numbers to automation to product improvements to the impact side of the business. And every quarter, we take two days off. Basically, it's in the diary. No one can talk to us. We're not in the office at all. And we try to basically align or realign with those objectives we set for the next 18 months. 
we did a bit of a reset recently in early Jan because uh, we were off a few of our metrics. But it does seem to help when we're basically out of the office. It does, this, the, the team's getting bigger and bigger. We're now 18. We're hiring more people. There's definitely like a lot of distractions, a lot of demands day to day that you know are calling our attention. But that ability for us to take that step back or outside of the office. Yeah, in, in one case, we just worked in a coffee shop. Because like, what we used to do early on after, uh, after work and talking about how things are going, we used to just have like a, a strategy session in our favorite coffee shop there in South London. We both live close by. And we went back to it after two years. Nice. We hadn't been to it for so long. And we're like, do you know what? Bring it back to basics. Let's sit down and let's just go through some of the core things. And it's been a good process. I, I would say I couldn't really tell you if it's worked or not until we get to the end of the 18 months <laughs> yeah. as we execute. But um, it, it is a challenge. And, and it's something I'm constantly thinking about is there are so many distractions and just keeping that core focus is, is, is a challenge. I think for any, any business. I think what you're doing there in relation to every three months, even if it's just a night and a day away, I think that's um, I think that's exceptional. I think it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job on that so far, Rob. Well, I don't know if it, I don't know if you've got it right yet, but I definitely notice my mindset shift has been quite substantial. So, yeah, taking myself physically out of the office and actually doing that process has been quite important to me. Similar to what you're saying, look on the river, and actually, I'm probably the harshest person in terms of the business. Like, even though we've had some fantastic success and it's all going well. You know, in terms of a team setting, it's all about, you know, communicating the wins and, and kind of keeping the, the working on some of the things we have to work on and keeping the energy up. But actually, from an Exco perspective with senior leadership, I'm actually quite harsh. I'm basically like, this is not good enough. We need to be getting more back to, to the core focus or the core, the core OKRs that we set ourselves last quarter. I love this business and I love the journey it's taking, but I can also be its biggest critic. And I sort of know the shortcomings or a lot of the shortcomings and expect better. So that's been a big thing for me, not being complacent and and constantly asking that question. Maybe I'm a bit too harsh. I probably need to tie it down a little bit, but I, I've noticed that in myself changing. And I don't know if it's just a natural change or whether I've just been like, no, I expect better. And that's yeah. And I think as long as we, we spoke about it two hours ago, actually, in a senior leadership uh, training session where we've had someone come in for the last couple of months and, and, and go th- mirror kind of the journey that we're going on. As long as there is the recognition that there's enough, uh, there's enough markers in the sand that when certain mm. levels are hit, we do stop momentarily, even if it's for two, three, four hours, and go, Whoo, guys, love it, and, and speak and recognize that. Yeah, we, I think everyone's had the experience to at least watch movies or film uh, that, that say that they've seen the manic boss, they've seen the Steve Jobs, that nothing's ever good enough. And I think most people aren't wired like that. And as long as there's a recognition that we just need to have those lines in the sand to say collectively as a team, well done, everyone. Like, this has been great. Looking forward to the next journey with you all, but just wanted to say cheers, everyone. You know, I think I think that means a lot to people that are put, you know busting their guts every day and uh, working hours a lot of the time and 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 uh, yeah, putting them under stress to to deliver. Right. So I think as long as that balance is there, it, sh- it should be okay. There was a point I think last year in particular where I was thinking so far ahead, not living in the moment, that I was almost materializing the wins before they'd even happen. And then when they did actually happen they were anticlimactic. I hadn't really like, everyone was like really excited and like, this is amazing. Like, how do we do this? And I'm like, in my head, they were three months ago. I'd already like put the, like put the work and time and thinking about what they were going to do and what the next steps were afterwards. So yeah, that's been, been detrimental to my mental health a little bit, I think last year. So I'm trying to basically detach myself, as you say, two or three hours and actually like dwell on it because yeah, there's something I haven't done well and I uh, need to do better. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that list of things for people that listen to the show is fairly endless, right? It's, <laughs> I don't think it's the reason why I'm looking forward to, to, to the final couple of questions, Rob. And as I say, it's, uh, 
it's a fascinating journey so far. Really looking forward to keeping tabs and following you guys and seeing how the journey keeps going. But I have got a bit of a stack of books and I've loved selfishly hearing what people listen to, what they read, what they watch. Because as you know, like you know, each conversation, each thing you listen to, it gives you a slightly new angle, slightly different angle, and sometimes really helps solve problems that you might be mooting around for a little bit longer than you wanted to. Is there a best book or podcast or movie that you'd recommend that you've taken some long lasting learns from or one that you're listening on right now that you've loved? Not recently, but I did love We Crashed uh, by Dan Brown. That was particularly good. Just on the train, just listening to that. And sort of that highs from that journey. And I think I was saying before how it can be almost detrimental, the mindset you can get into, especially in a very VC-funded environment where you have to keep proving and, and showing externally that things are going so, so well that you have to keep fundraising. That's been just just very personally for me, like quite a lesson of, okay, we don't want to do this. This is not what we want to recreate with plans. But I would say more recently, actually, I've been reading quite a big book and, and quite straightforward, Factfulness by Hans Rosling. That's been really nice, actually, personally to read. But what's fantastic about it is perspective and perspective on data. So that the premise really is that things aren't actually as bad as they, they people think they are. The world is actually in a better place. We've come a long way in terms of technology, in terms of medicine, in terms of how we do business and how we, how we earn money. And actually, if you look at the actual raw data, you know, there's, there's a lot of negative stuff out there. And it's very easy to watch the news and sort of be constantly kind of upset or annoyed at what's going on. But uh, perspective is important. I think it's important as an entrepreneur or anyone really working in, in the space to actually realize that, you know, there's going to be ups and downs, but actually things are actually a lot better than, than you think they are. And that perspective is really important. So me living in the moment has been a big I think I've taken away from that that book in particular. And if there's in relation to strategy setting, Rob, for all those people that are kind of in this kind of zone that you are, or thinking about starting it, or you know, even one or two steps ahead or whatever, if there'd be one learn that you'd want listeners to take away from this strategy sessions conversation, what would it be? Yeah, I think taking that that breath and, and just sort of taking that step back has been fundamental for, for for me and for the team. So I know it's probably quite corny in terms of everyone probably says this, but you really do need to basically take stock of what's happened and where you've come from and then essentially use that to sort of set some of, you know, what's that core objective that you need to then go on and, and absolutely obsess over. Um, but yeah, taking that breath can be quite hard. And as things get more intense and the team gets larger and you have more investors and more demands and partners and customers, it's very hard to keep doing that. So um, yeah, for, for, for me personally, it's been a lesson just to like, okay, Rob, you need to make sure if you're going to block some time out, we're going to use it and we're going to take that time out. So yeah, I, I think that's, it sounds like from your experience too, that's a similar thing. But uh, I, I, yeah, personally found it to be a big, big key kind of mindset shift that I need to make. No, I love it, Rob. I think that's a bang on the money and especially with all the noise that comes in and comes in and comes in and as the business continues to grow, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, I used to be terrible for booking in things over the top of my free and executing time. All that needs to yeah. be done, needs to be done, needs to be done. Whereas the reality is, no, there's some things that should go in which are non-negotiable. So I think it's a brilliant way to finish. It's been really enjoyable speaking to you today, Rob. Um, I'm sure there'll be lots that will have resonated with listeners and they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and do share with others in your network. Really good speaking to you again, Rob. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Pete. Really, really enjoyed it. 